We are in a series that we're doing this month of August called Guardrails, and uh, my text verse for the day kind of gives the essence of what this series is all about. So in fact, I'm going to read it. If you don't mind standing with me, just in honor of reading God's word this morning. Uh, we shared this the first week of this series too, but I want to share it again today because I think it's so powerful and so prevalent about what we're trying to, the message we're trying to bring across this month. Uh, it's out of Ephesians 5 and 15. It says, be very careful. Everyone say, be very careful. Be very careful. Then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. In other words, put up some guardrails in your life. Be intentional about doing it. And then he answers the why that we would do this. He says, because the days are evil. You know, we can see in 2021, we hear that and we think, oh yeah, days are evil today. But you know what? This was written 2,000 years ago. The days aren't evil today any more than they were evil 2,000 years ago. The days are evil because sin has come into this world. And ever since that moment where sin entered the world, the days have been evil. And so Paul is telling us to be very careful how we live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Today I wanna to talk to you about putting guardrails around your thought life, around your mind. Uh, the title of my message today is A Mind is a Terrible Thing to Waste. Amen to that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have together today, Lord. God, we acknowledge today that we are nothing without you. But Lord, we also recognize that with you, we lack nothing. So God, would you come and do what only you can do today in our lives, in our hearts. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you today. We open our hearts to your word, to your truth, Lord. We thank you because we know that you can do more in a moment in our life than we could do in a lifetime on our own. So come and have your way, Lord. For everybody in this room, for everybody listening online, God, do your work in our hearts today for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank the Lord. So we're talking about the importance of establishing guardrails in our life this month. And, you know, uh, as we always do at the beginning of this, this message, I want to make sure you understand where we're coming from. You know, physical guardrails are something that we all understand. Physical guardrails or something when you see it driving down the road, it alerts you and you know that on the other side of that guardrail is a danger zone. That it's either a ditch or it's a treacherous area where it would not be wise for you to drive there and actually could be very detrimental to you if you do drive there. So we understand the physical guardrails. Well, the premise of this is the same thing. Life guardrails, personal guardrails we put in our life do the exact same thing. They are a standard of conscience that we, put, that we build up in our life knowing that we are not to cross over those because on the other side of that is going to be some kind of a ditch or some kind of a treacherous area for us, whether it has to do with our finances. We talked about a couple weeks ago. Last week, Jessica talked about the tongue. We've talked about other areas of guardrails that we need in our life. Today, we're gonna to talk about the mind and our thoughts and just the importance that it is of putting up guardrails in our life because you see, the Bible is clear and it's consistent and it is continually warning us to put up guardrails in our life. Now, it doesn't use the term guardrails, but even in my text verse where it says, be careful, that tells us, pay attention. The Bible tells us to be alert. The Bible tells us to watch out. The Bible tells us to be sober-minded. So this tells me that we know that just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that all of a sudden I don't need guardrails because God's just gonna work everything out for me, and even though I'm on a road with no guardrails on either side, God's gonna make sure I never get off to the side of the road and into the ditch. If that was the case, the word wouldn't tell us over and over and over, be careful, watch out, look out. Hey, Christian, pay attention. He's doing that because he's given us the wisdom that we need. You see, the Bible talks about, about uh, us needing to show restraint in our life. And you know, that's something that society doesn't like. Society doesn't like restraint. Society says to throw off restraint. If it feels good, do it. You live your life, you do your thing, boo. And you do whatever you gotta do, right? But restraint for the Christian is biblical, and restraint is the evidence of wisdom in our life. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, I want to be around people with godly wisdom. Man, there is nothing like being around people that have godly wisdom, because godly wisdom will keep you out of more ditches in your life than it's just about anything else that you could ever have. It's so wonderful. And that's what this whole month is about. It's about us using godly wisdom in our life. How many of you know the mind and our thinking can get us into more messes than most things? 
man, if we could win the battle of the mind, if it was only possible to win the battle of the mind, do you know how much more joyful and peaceful life would be? Well, I have good news today because we can win that battle. It is not a losing battle for the believer, for the follower of Jesus today. Our thinking affects so much of our life. Our thinking affects our emotions. Our emotions are based on what we're thinking, not the other way around. Our thinking affects our health. How many of you have had a stomach ache because you've convinced yourself that some situation is worse than it really is? Our stomach responds to our thinking. And most of all, our thinking affects our faith. It affects our faith so much more than we ever give it credit for in our life. Now, it can be the other way around. Your faith can actually affect your thinking, which is the godly, biblical way of doing it. But we have to be intentional about that. Because if we're not, our thinking will actually affect our faith. and It'll affect our faith negatively. And it'll cause us to be in ditches and in down in rocky ravines that we have no business being in because we weren't intentional in our life. And as a Christian, there is more to the story. You see, society says that people can't change, right? You're thinking, you're not gonna be able to change your thinking. You're wired the way you are. You know, a leopard can't change its spots. You know, you've heard that before. You, if you're a warrior, you're just gonna be a warrior. If, you, if you're fearful and you struggle with fear, you're just gonna struggle with fear. If you're high-strung, you're just high-strung, and that's just the way it's gonna be, right? You can try behavior modification, you can try to do some mental exercises, but at the end of the day, when trouble comes, you're gonna revert back to who you are. That's what society would say. And in, 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 in a lot of ways, they're correct. Our wiring is, some people are more prone to worry than others. Some people are more prone to be chilled and laid back and relaxed than others. There is a wiring that's part of who we are. But as a Christian, that's not the end of the story. You see, we don't have to just try to grit our teeth and control our thinking and, and think better and, and, uh, and not allow our minds to take us on these roller coasters where we're just a passenger on this mental roller coaster and we're just going wherever our mind takes us. We don't have to do that. We're not subject to that in our life. In fact, one of the biggest perks of being a follower of Jesus, other than actually you know, getting to be in relationship with God himself, that's a pretty big one. But another one is that not only are we in relationship with him, we get his Holy Spirit dwelling in us to help us to live like him, to help us to have his mind, to help us to be transformed into his likeness, to not to be changed from the inside out and not just doing mental exercises hoping for the best. That's a beautiful promise. It's a beautiful standard that God gives us. That's what makes Christianity so much different than any other religion. It's not just trying about trying to be good and trying to believe in something, but you actually get the impartation of the Spirit of God living in you to help you live this life for him. It's beautiful. But we have to be intentional to do that. In fact, Romans 8, I want to read this verse. This is, I'm going to kind of use this as a catalyst for this, the rest of my message today out of Romans 8 and verse 5. This is one of the best chapters in all the Bible. It says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Seems pretty simple, right? The mind of sinful man is death, but, it's the greatest but in all the Bible, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Hallelujah. I, I, listen, I, I've been around long enough to know that too many of us Christians don't, ha don't know what that is. Don't know what it is to have the mind controlled by the Spirit and to live this life of peace that he has called us to. But it's ours if we want it. It's ours if we are determined. You want peace? You want to stop letting your mind run amok? You have to commit your mind to the Spirit. And this is not some philosophical jargon we're talking about today. This is life. This is real. But it's also not a drive-through. It's not a quick fix. It's not a microwave. This is about discipline. This is about living your life with guardrails to make sure that you are determining that when you bump up against that guardrail, it reminds you, oh yeah, I need to set my mind on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the earth. It's not a one-time thing. You don't get to decide today, all right, I'm gonna live by the Spirit now, and uh, you know, mind of the flesh be gone. It's not that simple. That mind of the flesh comes back, it'll be here before you get to lunch. And it's gonna to try to get its way forever. So we have to put up guardrails so we know when we bump up against those guardrails, oh yeah, I'm trying to worry right now, but I know I don't need to because I need to have the mind of Christ. 
because I don't have to be subject to the carnal mind, I can be subject to the mind that God has given me. And the beauty of this is this is exclusive to followers of Jesus. You can't have the mind of God if you're not a child of God. So you have to be a follower of Jesus. If you're here today and you'd say, I'm not a Christian, I'm here and I think this is kinda cool but I don't know what I'm doing, I wanna tell you today, you're never gonna win the battle of the mind in your life unless you are a blood-bought child of God. The beauty of that is, is that's for everybody. All we have to do is make that choice. We have to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came and he died, he lived a sinless life on this earth and he died a death on a cross for my sins and for yours. Three days later he rose again and he stands at the right hand of the Father now making intercession for us. And that the only reason that I have access to God is because of what Jesus did for me. That his love, his grace is a free gift that is given to us for those of us that would commit our lives to him. And when we do that, we have the exclusive offer from Romans 8 to live, a mind, live with a mind of the Spirit. But it's also not a guarantee, because I am a Christian, that I'm going to have the mind of the Spirit. Because Paul's even telling us here, the connotation here, the context is telling us, hey, you have to choose. This letter to the church in Rome was written to the church. So this is written to Christians. So he's saying, listen, even as a Christian, you can decide to be subject to your nature or you can decide to be subject to the Spirit. It's up to you. And you know what? Whatever you decide today, you're gonna get up tomorrow and you're gonna have to do it again. And by lunch, you're gonna have to do it again. And by dinner, you're gonna have to do it again. And you're gonna have to continually remind yourself, this is why we set up guardrails. This is why we set up standards in our life to make sure that when I see and I notice myself going down this path of the carnal mind, that I'll bump up against that guardrail and go, oh, that hurts. No, no, not gonna do that. And it could save us from getting down in the ditch well, we're living in this worry, we're living in this fear, we're living in anxiety, we're living as victims of our mind. And we don't have to do that because it's plain and simple and clear in the word of God. But we have to believe that God can do it. See, that's a big part of the problem for us as the church. We have to believe God can do it. We've, too many of us have bought the lie that, eh, that's not really what God does anymore. You know, God's just, we're just, he gave us this book and we just, Read this and hope for the best. God doesn't really deliver. He doesn't really heal. He doesn't really set free. Well, I'm here to tell you today, he does. I'm living proof of it. And there are a lot of people in this room that are living proof of it. He sets us free, still does it, but we have to believe. And if we don't believe that our mind can be delivered by God to be a tool that God can use for his glory, then what are we doing? What are we doing? We're no different than the world. We're just hanging on to some philosophy. When in reality, this is meant to be our life. This is meant to give us life and peace in such a way that the world could never understand, but that the world will want if they see it in us. You know, I was reading this week, just reading in my Bible and uh, just doing my, my daily reading time. I'm reading through Acts right now, and I'm really taking my time reading through Acts this time. Usually I, I fly through it. I've read Acts more times than I can count, but... Um, partly because I just feel like I, you know, I start reading and I already know what's gonna happen, so I just shoot right through it. And I've determined this time I'm gonna read it slowly because you know, this is the beginning of the church. Like where we are today, we're living in the book of Acts still. And it, it shows us how the church started. It's so fascinating. And, and I think there's so much truth in the book of Acts, even of how we can live as the church today. And I'm reading, and I'm in chapter 14, and I'm reading where Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. And, they're, and Paul's preaching, he's in the synagogue and he's preaching to the people and you know, he's, they're going all over, people are getting saved and it's really incredible and exciting what's happening. And Paul's just there preaching and the Bible says that there was a man there in the crowd that was lame. He was crippled in both feet, he'd never walked. And Paul saw him while he's preaching and he makes eye contact with him. And he, the Bible says that he saw that this man had faith to be healed. And Paul just looks at him, stops in the middle of his preaching, looks at him and says, get up. And the guy got up. The guy was healed instantly in that moment. And I'm reading this and I was so struck by it. I was so blown away because, you know, I think so oftentimes in, in our faith, we, we try to, we try to polish things up. We try to make them look a certain way. We try to make, we try to cause people to the gospel to appeal to people in a certain way and how we do things. And Paul just looked at this guy and saw it and was like, oh, this guy believes he can be healed. Hey, get up. And the guy jumps up. It didn't say that the guy was like, oh, Paul was just preaching this incredible message. It didn't say that their worship was so powerful that the spirit of God was just moving because you know they had a really good worship leader there before Paul started preaching. 
Didn't say anything about that. It just said the guy believed. Paul said, get up. And he got up. And church, that's, that's the church I want to see today. That's who, that's, I believe that's, what, that's the church God wants for us today. I mean, would you agree? I'm sure you would agree that we as the church are losing influence in society, right? We're losing it at a fast clip. And if we're ever going to get that influence back, it's got to be that people are seeing the exhibited, manifested power of God working through his people. That they're seeing that, you know what, society's crazy right now. You know, COVID's spiking again. It's all over the place. We've got the craziness happening over in Afghanistan. we got turmoil in all of our societies. We've got all these things happen, political turmoil. So much is going on. Yet, man, I see these Christians and they're just, they have this peace that I can't explain. They're not, they're not denying stuff's happening. They're not naive to it. But man, they just have this peace. They have this ability to trust in God that I can't explain. And when people see that exhibited in God's people, it will draw people to the gospel. It'll stir people's faith to where we can look at them and say, get up, get up. And they'll get up. They didn't, I didn't, Paul didn't have to tell this guy, okay, listen, you got to say, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. I give my life to you. Come into my heart, live in my life. He didn't say any of that. He said he believed. He looked at him and went, get up. And he got up. That's the power of the gospel, church. That is the power of the gospel. And it is not for 2,000 years ago. It is for today. And it's got to be living in us. But we have to believe that that power can still exist in our life. I'm not talking about getting crazy Pentecostal and weird. I'm talking about the power of God in our life being manifested that's gonna make people look at us and go, I want what he's got. That looks like loving people, amen? That's who we are called to be. Not just the preacher, not the staff, the, the house of God. We are called to be those people and I believe God wants to do that in us but we have to believe. And if we're gonna win this battle of the mind, man, I tell you, I mean, yeah, it, it excites people to see a lame man standing up that's never walked in his life, but boy, it would excite society to see Christians living in peace too and loving others that we disagree with and showing the grace and the mercy and the love of God in our everyday life. That'll rock society just as much as seeing people healed of blindness and deafness and all kinds of stuff. Let's just live the gospel. That's all it is. Loving people the way Jesus would have us love them. So, but if we're going to put guardrails up, we have to be intentional and, devote, and, and be devoted to Christ. Now, these guardrails are not what's going to change our life. These go, we're, not, we're not married to a method. Okay? We're about the gospel. But these guardrails will help us. They'll help keep us on that narrow road. Colossians 2.8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. See to it. Here's another. Be careful. Be, be alert. Pay attention. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So in the battle of the mind, we have to see to it that we are not taken captive, that we are not taken prisoner, that we are not slaves of our thoughts, of our bad thinking. So what Paul is saying here. Because if you give in to the bad thinking, you will become captive to that. And Paul says, see to it. Be careful. These are disciplines that we can instill in life to help us win this battle. So I'm gonna give you a few guardrails today, a guardrails of the mind that I think will challenge us. And the first one is guardrail of responding over reacting. To live a life where our guardrail in our life is not one of reacting. You either have a guardrail of responding to situations in life or you have a guardrail of reacting to situations in life. And you might say, well, what's the difference? Well, it's subtle, but it's very, very significant. We are called to respond, not to react in our life. You see, situations happen daily and we will either respond or react depending on the guardrail we have. To respond means that we're being thoughtful, that we're being uh, intentional, that we're, that we're predetermining in our life that when things come, even though we may not know what those things are, that we're going to respond in a way that we're gonna purpose in our heart to have the mind of Christ, to have the mind controlled by the Spirit, to have the perspective that God would want us to have in those situations. That's what responding looks like, and it has to be intentional. Reacting is what happens when we're taken off guard. Reacting is what happens when we are surprised, like a snake that's coiled up and it gets surprised by somebody, the snake strikes. That's what reacting is. 
they're not, you're not preparing for what happens, you're just kind of crossing your fingers and hoping things go well, and then when they don't, you're completely taken off guard and you're forced to react. And when we react, we're usually reacting in the flesh. And when we respond, we can respond in the spirit. And God would want us, as his followers, to respond and not react. And you might say, well, how do I respond to things that I don't know are coming? Well, we do it all the time. You know, I, I, I prepare myself for things all the time when I don't know what's coming. I, I get in a car, I prepare myself by putting on a seatbelt. I'm preparing for what might happen down the road. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm preparing myself so that I can respond in that situation and not react. Because if you try to react in that situation and put on your seatbelt real quick, it's usually gonna be too late, right? We prepare ourselves even on our finances. You know, you don't know what all expenses are gonna come your way, but you might even have a line item on your budget that says unexpected expenses. And you put a little money in savings so that when that air conditioner breaks, you don't have to react by freaking out, wondering how I'm gonna pay for this and, and letting your mind take you to places of anxiety and worry. Instead, you respond by dipping into your savings account, right? So we do things like that all the time, but we can also do it in the, the thinking, the thought life that we have. We can purpose in our heart to live in such a way that we're gonna respond to things that come. We're gonna prepare ourselves that, yes, God, I'm trusting you that you're gonna take care of me and that you're gonna be with me in every situation. But when I still end up up against that guardrail or I'm smacking up against it and I'm getting dings and dents on me that I'm not gonna react, I'm not gonna lash out, but I'm gonna respond by having the, the mind of the Spirit in my life. Proverbs 27, 12, it says a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. In other words, learns how to live in response. The simpleton or the naive person goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So that person reacts. So a prudent person, a wise person responds, a naive simpleton reacts. And we all know what happens when we react. What happens is our emotions get the say. If you try to respond when you weren't prepared, it's too late. You're gonna react and your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts are gonna have their way. They're gonna have their moment, at least in that setting and in that, that season. Hopefully it's a short season, but it's too late to try to respond if you haven't prepared ahead. You have to plan ahead to be somebody that's gonna respond and not react. Christians should be the most emotionally aware people on the planet. Because we should understand that just because I follow Jesus doesn't mean everything's gonna not gonna go perfect, right? But I have a God that I can trust. And so I can respond to all my situations because no matter what happens, I know that my God was not taken off guard. My God's not surprised. My God hasn't let me down. My God hasn't forsaken me. He hasn't turned his back on me. He's still here with me. He's still helping me. He's in the midst of all my troubles with me. So we should be the most emotionally aware and intelligent people on planet Earth if we know our Bible and if we know the Word of God, right? You know, Jesus never reacted. I actually, as I was preparing this this week, you know, this is something that just, I felt like the Lord gave me, and so I started just thinking through situations that we know Jesus was in in the Gospels, never reacted. Never ever did he react, he always responded. He was always prepared for everything that came his way. And there's one story in particular that came to my mind as I was preparing this out of Luke 9. And Jesus was going, he was heading to Jerusalem. It was time for him to go there and he was gonna die for our sins. And, and uh, they were walking through some villages. And in uh, Luke 9, 52, in fact, I'll read these four verses. It says, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> what, what great guys, huh? Uh, but Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. So you see that Jesus is going into Jerusalem. Well, the Samaritans in there, you know, the Samaritans and Jews had a bitter racial feud going on. They did not like each other. A lot of racism going on, right? And so when they heard that they were coming into town, but they were headed to Jerusalem, they said, no, 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 we're not, we're not welcoming you. And James and John, you know, still being Jews and still, you know, working their salvation out and still being uh, redeemed and sanctified and set free, they, they reacted. 
They said, you know, Jesus, we know you don't want, you get, you don't want to get your hands dirty, you know, you being the Messiah and all, but just say the word and we'll call down fire on this place. We'll make them wish they were Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Uh, they, were willing to, they were willing to do the dirty work, you know? And, uh, you know, they were called the sons of thunder, James and John, they were brothers. I guess they wanted to be called the sons of fire too, but, uh, it, but Jesus actually rebuked them. You know, Jesus didn't react, he responded. He rebuked them and they went to another village. He just went another way. Like, how great is that? That's what emotional intelligence looks like. Like, you know what, there's more than one way to get to Jerusalem. We'll just go around. You know what, there, who knows, there might be somebody in this other village that needs some healing. Who knows? But our tendency in those situations is to react. Like, oh, those people are, you know, they're racist, or they don't like us, or they, they don't like us because we're Christians, and so, you know, we, we can lash out when Jesus would say, don't, don't react, respond. Just respond, just love. Respond in love, and respond to do whatever the Spirit of God leads you to do, but I can promise you it's not gonna be to call down fire on those people. It's not gonna be that, and you know, we don't do that today, but we, we call down different kinds of fire. We, we pray the Holy Ghost miserables on people. You know, God, make them miserable. They deserve it. When Jesus would want us to respond like he did. Reacting breeds worry and fear and anxiety and dread. It's a breeding ground for all those things. But responding breeds trust and rest and peace in our life. And whether you're wired to respond or react doesn't matter. These are spiritual principles we can allow the Lord to implement into our lives as we are intentional in putting up these guardrails in our life. Okay, another guardrail would be to focus on conviction over convenience. Conviction over convenience. Now I have to be careful here because I can talk about convenience in the church for hours. Um, and, I, and I know I do talk about it quite a bit, I feel like, but you know, we're, we're such a convenience-driven society, which is fine in society, but man, it has bled into the church. And we've tried to make our faith convenient. Our faith is not about convenience. Our faith is about conviction. Our faith is about living differently, not taking the easy way out, not trying to look for the quick fixes, not trying to look for what's the least it's gonna cost me, but that it would cost me everything. I will still follow him. I will still serve him. You know, I love what I'm hearing about the Christians in Afghanistan right now. I don't know if you guys are hearing it too, but I'm hearing from the Christians in Afghanistan that they're ready to die. That they're ready to die. They don't want to, but they're, they're not gonna compromise their convictions. They're not gonna compromise their faith. You know, you know what, if my, they're saying if my faith costs me everything, okay. And we as American Christians look at that and go, that's the worst thing in the world that could ever happen, somebody dying for their faith. No, it's not. It's not good, it's not great, but let me tell you, people can get saved by the mere fact of Christians dying for their faith. Every time Christians are persecuted and martyred, the church grows. It's all through history. But we have this convenience mentality in an American church where everything's just got to be easy. What's the easiest we can do? What's the easiest thing? I mean, I don't wanna preach more than 40 minutes because I know you guys are gonna start getting restless. You know, not you guys, but some churches, you know? Oh, I can't, we don't wanna, we don't wanna ruffle too many feathers, you know, we, we're, we're just begging people to come to church and just kinda love Jesus, you know? Like, if you love him, he'll give you, you know, he'll make your life better and he'll do things for you and he'll heal your body and heal your finances and, you know, we're trying to make it as convenient as we can and I look at my Bible and I'm like, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me or you're not worthy of me. He said to lay down your life. He said to give it all for me. And he said, anyone who wants to save his life is gonna lose it. But oh, if you give your life for me, you'll find it. Man, that's a, that's a gospel that we don't see much in the American church. And that's part of the idea, that's part of the reason, it's, it's part of the, the challenge and the, the turmoil and the hurdles and the tension in living in a blessed society. It really is. And that's okay, we're blessed. Praise God for our blessings. But let's not let that convenience seep into our faith to where we're more worried about what's, what, how our faith can be convenient for us and how it can bless us than we are about living with conviction. Because convenience does not spread the gospel. I mean, how's that working for us, right? In the American church, we're so focused on convenience in our society, we're so focused on convenience. You can have food delivered to your door. Everything's delivered to you now. You, can, you don't have to go into stores anymore. You pull up, you call a number, they bring stuff to your car. Everything's about convenience. How's that working for us with our thinking? 
Because I would say there's more worry and fear in our society and in the church today than in my lifetime, probably in the history of the church. So it's obvious that convenience is not where it's at if we really wanna live the life of peace and freedom. It's not about convenience. Something tells me that there are Afghan Christians right now that have more peace in their heart and in their mind and in their life than many of us do. So that tells me it's not about my circumstances. It's about what's in my heart. It's about what my convictions are. It's about, am I gonna stand up for what I believe? How many of us, if we were in that situation where Muslim terrorists are coming into our house and saying, you renounce your faith in Jesus or we're killing you right now, how many of us would stand up for our faith? I mean, that's maybe a little unfair to say that today since we've never experienced that, but that's something we should think about. Like, am I gonna just say, oh, okay, I renounce my faith even though I know in my heart I really still love Jesus? Or am I gonna stand up for my convictions that God has given me? And I believe the guardrail God wants in our life is the conviction, not the convenience. 2 Timothy 4, verses three to four, it says, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own interests, in other words, for convenience sake, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. Now, I'm thankful that that's not who we are here at New Hope. If you came to get your ears, your, your itching ears tickled, you're in the wrong church because we are committed to the truth of the gospel because I don't believe the gospel is about convenience. It's never been convenient for me. And I can tell you the times that I've kind of leaned that way and tried to make it my faith as convenient as it can be and appeal to what my needs are, what I want, are the times I've been the most miserable in my faith. And so I know we aren't doing that here, but I also know there is a, there is a draw towards that. There is a push towards that, not just in the American church, but everywhere, because that is in our sin nature to suit our own desires and to try to figure out how our faith can be convenient fulfilling our desires, because convenience is something we all understand. It's all something we enjoy. In, in regular life, I try to do things, I'm about, I'm about being efficient and about convenience in my life. I love, I love things, apps on my phone that can make my life easier. I love all kinds of stuff like that, and that's totally fine. But it cannot, cannot, cannot bleed into our faith. Because it's not what our faith is about. Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3. Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on things above. Set your minds on the things that you have conviction about, not on the convenience of this life. And then he tells us why, because basically you're dead. You're nothing, you're dead without Christ. Even though your body might still be alive if you don't have Jesus, your spirit is dead. But he says if you're alive in Christ, if you've given your life and your heart to Jesus, you're dead, but you live. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So he says, set your hearts on the things that are above, set your heart and your mind and your thoughts on your convictions. Live by your convictions. And I believe the word shows us that our convictions will, bring, will help bring peace in our life. It will help us to keep our thinking under control. If you don't get this, you will never ever rise above worry in your life. Never. The shallow, convenience-minded Christian will never walk in victory in your thinking can't do it, not consistently. You might have your moments, but you're not gonna live consistently in victory because there will always be things deserving of worry coming down the pike. I'll say it again. There will always be things deserving of worry or anxiety-provoking or fear-provoking that are gonna be coming down the pike. There is no way, and you know this as well as I do, there's no way you're just gonna leave this place today and you're gonna live the next 20 years and there's not gonna be anything that's gonna be worthy of your worry in life. It doesn't happen. Those things come, right? The Bible's clear. Jesus is clear. He said in this world you're gonna have trouble. In this world you're gonna have things that are gonna make you wanna worry. In this world, you're gonna have things that are gonna scare the bejesus out of you. But he says you can take heart because he overcame the world. But if our mind is not set on him and the things of him, then 
We're never going to win this battle of worry in our life. Never, ever going to win it. Psalm 46 is one of my favorite psalms in all the Bible. In verses one and two, kind of gives us a, a key here. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. So he's even telling us here, there's gonna be stuff that's happening. That's happening. The earth might give way. The mountains might fall into the sea. Hurricanes might come. Your finances might have turmoil. You might have relationship issues. You might have health issues. Things are going to come, but God is my refuge and my strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. But it's because our focus is on who he is, not on our circumstances. And see, he goes on then in verse 10 of that same chapter. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. There's a lot of eyes in there and not any U's. Use guises. It's all him. It's all about him. It's all about his honor. It's about his purpose. It's about his glory. It's about his fame. It's about him being exalted. And it is about you getting to hide in that. That's what it's about. And that's it. Praise God. We've got to get away from this narcissistic American Western Christianity. We've got to run from it, run, I mean, turn and run as hard as we can run away from it. This focus on self-preservation and convenience, we've got to run from it. And let's live with guardrails of conviction. Now, the, the danger sometimes when you talk about conviction is that people will stand on their convictions and they'll guilt everybody else that doesn't have the same convictions as them. That's not what this is about. It's not about that at all. It's not about pushing your convictions on others. It's not about uh, being... Uh, a righteous, holy roller there. You think you're better than everybody else because you have stronger convictions than everybody else. It's not about that at all. It's about living those convictions in love. And when we do that, I believe all, with all my heart, it will draw people to Jesus, not start making them feel like Christians are just those holy rollers that think they're better than everybody else. And to be careful to make sure that those things are grounded in love. All right, third and finally, putting up a guardrail of worship over worry. Do you have a guardrail of worship or worry in your life? I can tell you today, if you don't have an intentional guardrail of worship, that you do have a guardrail of worry, where you have predetermined in your life that you're gonna worry about things. It's just that it's the nature. There's, if you have not disciplined yourself to make sure that nothing is going to take your worship, that no matter what the situation is that comes up, it is going to, uh, it is gonna be a catalyst for you to worship. If you have not done that, then you have predetermined in your life you're gonna worry. And you might say, well, I'm not much of a worrier. You are more than you know you are. You might even have deceived yourself some. But if you're not determining in your life you're going to worship, here's the deal. I know you care about things. We all do, right? So if those things that we care about are touched in such a way that would be a negative thing or something that we would not want, it's either going to ins inspire us to worship or to worry. That's just how it works. You're either going to worship or you're going to worry. You're gonna, you're gonna worry about your family, about your kids, about your schooling, about your career, your degree. You're gonna worry about your health. You're gonna worry about your finances. You're gonna worry about your faith. You're gonna worry about something in life. There's things that we care about and if we don't purpose in our heart to put up a guardrail of worship, then we're gonna allow ourselves to get into that place of worrying about those things. You might say, well, worship's not the opposite of worry. Actually, it is. It really is, because here's the thing. Wor worry says it's all about me. I, I worry about the things that are going to affect me and my mental well-being and my thinking and my thoughts. Those are, those are the things I'm gonna worry about. Worship says it's all about him. Worry's about me, worship, is about him. It's about whether or not we're gonna be narcissistic. It's about whether or not we're gonna be about self-preservation in our faith. Or are we going to purpose in our heart to worship no matter what might come our way? Because the thing you worship the most is also the thing in your life that you trust the most. You see, we all worship something. 
Because worship really just means to ascribe worth to something. It means to give worth. So we all give worth to things in our life, and we all have different levels of worth to different things in our life. Something in your life is the most important thing in your life. Something is. It, it, it could be your marriage, it could be your family, it could be your money, it could be your health, it could be, you, it could be just having fun, it could be sports, it could be a friendship, it could be God, but something in your life is above everything else and that's what you're worshiping. Because we all worship, because, because worship, like I said, is ascribing worth. It's giving worth in your mind and in your heart to something. So I'm not saying you're bowing down and worshiping the football game, although some of you might be, but we are worshiping those things that have the most worth in our life. So we have to determine in our life what's gonna have the most worth. Is the most worth in my life going to be my God? Is it gonna be my trust and my faith and my hope in him? Or is it gonna be these other things? And is God just gonna kinda find his way in the mix a little bit? But we are all worshiping something. Isaiah 26, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse three and four, it says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. That's it. He's the only thing that's eternal in this world. That's it. That's where we put our hope and our trust. That's why we should worship our God. Everything else in this world is temporal. The only thing that's eternal is our God. And if our mind is set on anything else, there will be no peace, period. We will not be able to li live in peace. So we put up a guardrail of worship, which means that there is nothing in my life that's going to take my worship. There's nothing that can happen to me that can come down the pike that is going to take my worship and cause me to get down in that ditch of worry. Nothing, 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 nothing. But we have to determine it, we have to put it up. Just because we come to church and we sing a couple songs at the beginning of a service doesn't mean we have a guardrail of worship in our life. Because it's easy to worship on a Sunday morning when everybody's in here singing together. It's not as easy to worship on a Tuesday when you got a COVID diagnosis and you're feeling terrible and you have to lay in bed, right? But I can tell you the eight days that I was in bed, I did not lose my worship. It didn't sound very good, but I didn't lose it. Because I have determined in my heart that there is nothing in this world that's going to take my worship. There's nothing. And I know in, in the grand scheme of life, uh, eight days in a bed with COVID is somewhat trivial, I get that. A lot of you have been through a lot of stuff. But I can tell you, I, can, I feel with full confidence in my heart that there is nothing in this world that could happen that's gonna take my worship. Because my worship is not based on what's happening in my life. My worship is based on who my God is. My worship is based on what he has done for me. And that he is worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my praise, that his grace continually pours over me. His grace is always sufficient, always sufficient. It's always enough, it's always more than enough. No matter what's happening in my life, his grace sustains us, gives me everything I need for life. And at the end of the day, church, no matter what happens, the Bible says, what can man do to me? At the end of the day, I know that my Redeemer lives and I'm gonna stand with him. And I'm gonna be rejoicing and I'm gonna be in a place where there's no more tears, there's no more crying, there's no more shame, there's no more pain, there's no more COVID, there's no more junk, there's no more anything, it's just him. Hallelujah. But church, that doesn't come unless we say, I'm putting up a guardrail of worship. I'm gonna worship even when I don't feel like it. I'm gonna worship when I feel like just complaining and moaning and, and being frustrated and venting and being upset. Those days aren't gone in my life. I have those days, but I purpose in my heart. I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna, sometimes that's the sweetest worship when you really don't want to and you give yourself to it, and you say, God, I don't feel like it today, but I'm just gonna worship you. Man, I've had some of the sweetest moments of worship in my life when I brought a sacrifice of praise. Praise God, he's so good. I wish I could give you my heart. I know I can't make you worship, I can't make you wanna worship, but I can tell you that I am who I am today because I have purposed in my heart that I will have a guardrail of worship in my life, 
on both sides of the road. Whether I'm excited or whether I'm bummed out, my, my default is to go to worship and to say, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you. I remember laying in bed this week saying, Lord, thank you that I can breathe on my own. Thank you that this is just a, a passing thing and it's gonna give me some rest. Thank you, God, that I can trust you in the midst of any situation I find myself in. It's beautiful. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Okay, well, if you stand with me, please, I'll close this morning, this afternoon. I wanna read one more verse to you, church, that I hope will give you the, the fire you need for this week. It's the Apostle Paul again out of 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 58 says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. There he goes again, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Can somebody say amen? When we give ourselves to the Lord, and he's talking, he's talking here about ministering the gospel, but this applies to all of us, just living this life for Jesus. That if we give ourselves fully to him, that we can know that it is not in vain. You ever worked your tail off in a job knowing you were never gonna get any credit or never gonna get any recognition from your boss, you're never gonna get a raise and they're not even gonna thank you for your hard work and it feels like it's in vain and it's hard to go in and really work hard when it's like that? It's never like that in the kingdom, never. He says, your work will not be in vain. So give yourself fully. Give yourself fully. Don't hold anything back. Trust him. Let, his mind, let the, the, the spirit control your mind and not the flesh today. I want to pray for us. Just pray that God would help you to, to be disciplined. Put these guardrails in your life. In fact, as we pray, if you want to come to the altar, you're welcome to. we got a nice long, big altar up here. You're welcome to come up here and pray if you'd like. You can stay in your seat too. I just encourage you to respond in some way, whether it's lifting your hands or bowing your head. Let's just respond to the word of the Lord today. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you so much. Lord, we acknowledge again that we're nothing without you. We're nothing without you, Jesus. Oh, but with you, we don't lack anything. God, help us to believe. Help us to believe that you are the same God that we see in the book of Acts. Lord, give us faith to believe that you could just look at us and say, get up. Lord, for those of us that have been down, we've been lame in our faith, in our thinking, that we've allowed ourselves to be crippled for a long time because of our minds and our thinking, God. Help us to believe and to look into your eyes to hear you say, get up. We wanna get up, God. We wanna be different than the world. We, not just so we can say we're different than the world, but because there's so much more to this life through your word, through living by faith in you, Jesus. This faith walk is not meant to be some mundane, white knuckling thing that we just hope that we can hang on till the end. But it is about living a life of peace, a life of joy unspeakable. Let that manifest in our life, God. Let it manifest in me. Show us, Lord, where we have unbelief. Show us, God, where we have allowed ourselves to believe the lies of the enemy. We've allowed ourselves to let society dictate how we should live this life of faith. A, a people that knows nothing about faith, that we've allowed them to tell us how to do it. God, we will look to the word to see how to live this life. And we trust you, Lord. Lord, we ask you forgive us for reacting and not responding. Forgive us, Lord, for worrying and not worshiping. Oh God, help us to put up a guardrail of worship. Help us to live a life where our default in every situation is to worship you. And God, we repent that we have lived a faith of convenience and not of conviction. Lord, we turn from that thinking today. And we thank you, God, for your conviction. We thank you for drawing us to you. Lord, we give our lives to you today. 
as we are confronted with our need for a savior each and every day, God, would you help us to respond to the call of salvation, to live this life as you've called us to live, God. Oh, Jesus, we worship you. We worship you, Lord. Church, I just encourage you to just worship him in your own words even now. Just give him the praise that he's due. Give him the honor that he's due. Don't be afraid of what the person beside you is doing or thinking. The manliest thing you can do in this house, men, is to worship your God. The manliest, strongest thing you could ever do is to worship your God. Don't let anybody take your worship. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. You are worthy, Lord. We love you and we bless you today, God. Bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Your grace so free. We thank you for it, Lord. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Be exalted in our lives, Lord. Seal this work you're doing in the hearts of these people right now. In Jesus' name, seal it by your spirit, Lord. We pray the enemy would not be able to come and steal this out of our hearts. Lord, but this word would produce fruit in our lives, that our hearts would be good soil, that fruit would produce, and it would, it would expand into our lives and the lives of those that you have put in our life for your glory, God. We wanna be a different people. We wanna be a church that exalts the name of Jesus for your glory, God. Be exalted in this place, be exalted in our lives, Lord, forever, not just today. Thank you, Jesus. We give you our thinking, we give you our minds. Give us the mind of Christ, Lord. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. If he's doing a work in your heart, don't, don't rush out. Don't feel the need to book it out of here. You just take your time, spend some time with the Lord. It's in these moments that he could do work in our hearts in ways that we can't, we don't get to experience very often. Just let him do what he's doing. Hallelujah. Thank you.